when we think of racist, this image of like a hooded dude with like a tiki torch, they have hate in their heart. They think it's this direct intentional thing and it doesn't leave room for how you could passively be participating in a racist system. Welcome to the Fully Alive Man podcast. This is a podcast to help men to become fully alive by doing life together. I'm here with Lee Rogers. Lee is the director of men's groups at North Point Community Church, and I work with men in men's groups, married groups, and who we're talking to are men who are intentional and wise and trying to be better men. Therefore, they're doing life together with other men in men's groups, married groups. We're talking to you guys, and we hope this podcast helps you become more intentional through doing life in community, and this will tee up some questions. This will help accelerate your group time. And we've got a special guest today. Tyreek Wesley is a transit groups director, meaning he helps create environments for the thousands of middle schoolers that call this place their church. And he has been such a a blessing in my life of helping me um, have my eyes open to perspectives about racial reconciliation through our friendship that we wanted to bring him on and tackle this tricky conversation of How do we wade into the delicate, tricky waters as men's groups and as married groups on talking on how we bridge the gap of racial separation, discord, miscommunications, and move towards healing in a culture that's got a lot of wounds right now? But we're going to go there today, and it's going to be really fun. Tyreek, come on in. Are you excited? Welcome to the Fully Alive Man podcast. I'm so excited. I'm an avid listener. Um and I just love that we're talking about this topic because I think it helps men's groups um, become better connected. I think it helps us better understand ourselves. And I think it gives us a better perspective on the world that we live in and how we can engage it as Christians. So I'm excited. It's going to be fun. I'm excited. I'm excited because we have Tyreek. Um, I know that you are a learner. You're a reader. You are super intentional with your marriage, with your wife, with your kids. And we need your wisdom, man. All right, guys. So in prepping for this, I was uh, thinking about something. Can I share? Do y'all mind? Please, Please, Robbie, share something with us. I remember the last time Robbie had an idea, we spent a lot of time talking about Chuck Norris. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, don't, I don't know if we're going to go there again. Is this I, about Chuck Norris? You're trying to say my only idea was I'm like just... months ago? Is that what I just heard? <laughs> All right. So last night, my wife leans over and she shows me this thing on her phone. It's like a, something on Facebook, one of those posts that went viral. And we were enjoying it. And today we happen to be doing a podcast on racial stuff. Perfect. So here's the question. Perfect. It, it's uh, somebody put out there on Facebook the question, okay, black people, ask white people one question you always wanted to know, here which is go. pretty fun. So here we go. Here's some of them. And I just, I'm going to throw these out to Lee and Tyree. Y'all just let me know if these are right or wrong. These are just some out there that black people ask white people. First question. Why did you raid the world for spices and then never use them? <laughs> yes, I wonder that. <laughs> you have not wondered that. I have, I, yes, I've wondered that. <laughs> I've yeah. never thought about that once, but you it, ask, it's like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's the about rest seasoned of the food. world. Like, yeah. <laughs> white folks are known 
<laughs> the stereotype is they don't season their food. Now, that's not true for all white people. That's a generalization. Hey, hey this is safe space. But some, they think that they don't season their food. <laughs> I've had bland chicken at, at white folks' house, and but not I, all white folks' and house. And I don't want to bring up any of my conspiracy theories, but really, really, did we cross oceans to find spices? Yeah, right. You're such a conspiracy theory like, guy. Like, we need something to spice up this. Not on uh, the podcast. Keep your conspiracy keep theories to yourself. All right. Here's the next question. On the show House Hunters, how are you guys getting approved for million-dollar home loans with jobs like butterfly refugee caseworker and part-time heirloom tomato therapist? <laughs> yes, I think about that. I'm like, how is their credit always good on this show? <laughs> the mortgage industry, jacked up. Black yeah. people know it. All right, here's the next one. <laughs> Who invented that cuss word, green bean casserole? <laughs> cuss word? What? Like it's a, that blank. I, I'm trying to be oh, good. Gotcha. We're on the air. Oh, Who you were that substituting blank? Why are people hating on decode this? Do from black me? I don't people even get this. Casseroles? Green bean casserole? It's the best one at I'm, Thanksgiving. I don't think I've I've only had casserole at white people's houses. I can't think of <laughs> one time my parents. Had I come would to eat me. a casserole right now if it was a in front of me. Green bean oh, casserole. Yeah. I don't I understand. Love it. I don't get any it. casserole. Broccoli so casseroles casserole. are a white person thing. Cauliflower yeah. casserole. Like I don't like my mom has never came to the table and was like, hey. Here's a, here's Bro, a casserole. Tyree, we need to have this conversation <laughs> on the air just to welcome you to the world of casseroles as a white guy. So good. I'm trying to think like, <laughs> throw all your food in one What pan? are the other types of casseroles? <laughs> There's all kinds of casseroles. Hamburger casserole, tuna casserole. Oh. All casseroles are delicious. <laughs> this all sounds bad. This, all, <laughs> this all sounds like, like they went to the kitchen and was like, all right, we're going to make a casserole that's out of whatever exactly is exactly how there. it happened. Yeah, that's oh, what okay. happens. All right. exactly it's how good it though. It's resourcefulness. Yeah, it's, that's what's up. Yeah, no. All right, here's the next question. Uh, somebody put out on Facebook, which one of y'all is Becky? I don't even know a Becky. Come on. <laughs> I know a couple. Come on. I, I talked to I Becky know, yesterday. You know a Rebecca. <laughs> yes, you do. I don't even know. You know any black Beckys? We work with a Rebecca. <laughs> Uh, I don't think I've met any black girls named Rebecca. Yes, I did. There was one in, in my elementary school. I I don't school. know any Beckys. Oh, that was funny. All right, here's the next one. This one's interesting to me. Why y'all don't use washcloths? Y'all, please answer that. <laughs> answer that. Wait, wait, this is real? <laughs> yes, black people use washcloths. Why? Why not just use soap? Because it's the friction of the cloth that helps you get clean. Exfoliating? Yeah. True. So what do you do? You just, it's, it's true, that's it's, a real it's thing. It's just hands oh, and bar of soap? My mom yeah, yeah. told me just to use, use the a washcloth. No. Really? Yeah. I never understood that. Now I just use the soap because I'm lazy, but I was raised to use a washcloth. Yeah, yeah. really? My mom yeah. knew. Because there's nothing worse than getting in the shower and forgetting your washcloth. You know what's even worse? You don't worse? want to get out. So do you just no, stay there's in a it? lot of things worse than just, that, Tyree. I'm saying just no, in no, the, in the, when, you're washing, so when you're taking a shower. I'll, I'll tell you what's even worse. My kids will use the liquid soap and no washcloth. What? That is like, where's the friction? I'm like, come get, on, guys. That's nothing. The friction has to get the Bro, dirt off. No, the soap gets the dirt no, off. The why, friction. Why do mechanics have to use brushes for their nails and stuff like that? No, or cloths to wash? Like, you need the... The extra stuff. I'm going to go on. Hey, quick man hack for you. You don't have to use a washcloth and you're still clean. <laughs> yes, you man do. Hack time. yes, you <laughs> All do. All right, here's the one next more? one. How uh, many more? Two more. Why we don't ever hear y'all talk about your cousins? What is that? <laughs> like, I would spend summers, like my cousins is like, that was like my, they were like my friends. Like we all hung out at my grandma's house together. Like, yeah, I did too. Then why don't you never talk about them? They are not close? Yeah, that's a good yeah. question. Man, we got something I to learn about, about extended family. I have family. a lot of cousins around here. I've heard Loads. I heard black folks are more communal minded hmm. and white folks are more individualistic. So that's why it's like, oh yeah, yeah I, I got yeah, cousins. That's... Like black folks will see something on TV 
and be like, oh, don't be a, like it affects all. It's like, oh, yes, a black person. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. And we can talk more about why that's the case. But I, let's come wait. back to that. That's a good yeah. principle that I had no awareness of and I'm still don't fully understand. I'd like to know. Yeah. Uh, here's the last one. Why don't y'all wear shorts? Why do y'all wear shorts in the wintertime? Not only shorts, but sandals as well. What is that about? It's cold outside. <laughs> first, I can't first tell of all, you. I don't wear sandals. <laughs> second, <laughs> what, what, second of all, I do wear shorts in the wintertime. But what, With what are they called? Not sandals? Not sandals. Flip-flops? Flip-flops? Shoes. The leather strap Sneakers. things. Yeah, no. Yeah. Mm, they, feet be out. Leather feet strap things. Out. Are you talking about Birkenstocks? <laughs> like the be, whitest thing all ever? I, all I know is it's cold outside. There's shorts <laughs> that I see. And then there's some type of sandal type sneaker wear and they're wearing yeah. a sweatshirt yeah and i'm like <laughs> a coat it's cold i, I do yeah. that it's cold i don't yeah. get it i don't know why i do that how much does birkenstocks cost i don't wear birkenstocks a hundred dollars i don't see that's the thing white folks be trying to talk about black people in like shoes and sneakers or whatever y'all can't trick me i know how much cowboy boots cost and i know how, you just told me how much birkenstocks it's the same thing are we still uh-uh. recording uh-uh. yeah we're still recording all right guys we're still recording but we got a transition let's jump into this okay let's get down to business here tyreek tell us a little bit about you where did you grow up where are you from how did you get here to working with us and um this part of the world yeah so um my dad was in the military i was born in kansas city missouri my dad and my mom, are both from there. My dad was in the army. So we moved around a lot when I was a kid. And so from kindergarten until I was in sixth grade, I lived in Junction City, Kansas. So like middle America, small town, walking home from school in like second grade, that type of situation. Till from seventh grade to I graduated high school, I lived in Heidelberg, Germany. So like army bases and all those things. Um, left there, came to Atlanta. I went to Morehouse College, fell in love with Atlanta, met my wife. She went to Clark, um, Clark, Atlanta. We got married, went to seminary at Emory, and I was a youth pastor that whole time. I was an elementary school teacher as well. And then I got a call one day about an opportunity possibly opening up in North Point. And uh, I came and I interviewed, and I, I've been here ever since. But on topic, though, just talking about race and reconciliation, I think my journey as a black man in America is unique in that I grew up overseas. Like my formative years was in another country mm-hmm. and I knew I was black, but I didn't know what that meant. Right. I didn't know what that meant for other people and how they saw me because in Germany in our army base, everyone was just an American, right? Yeah. Like there were people who were from France. There were people who were from Germany. There were people who were from Ghana. It didn't matter. Like these were like, that's how people saw you. They saw you as an American. And it wasn't until I moved back to the States where I began to start bumping into this thing called race and people treating me a certain way or saying offensive things or certain assumptions that people had, it was a culture shock for me. I was mm-hmm. like, what, what is going on? Mm-hmm. Cause I was under the impression of like, Oh, well, everybody's treated the same and everyone's equal and whatever, whatever. And then I, then I started experiencing racism and I was like, yo, this is crazy. And so I think it opened my eyes to that. And I think the biggest eye opener for me was when, um, was when Trayvon Martin got killed. So when Trayvon Martin got killed, I was in, I, I had just, gra- I was in seminary. Okay. And I remember, like, that's when it kind of clicked for me. Even after going through Morehouse, I was like, man, because like, there was all this talk about his attire and the way he dressed, right? Him having a hoodie on and how that made him look threatening. Which you have a black hoodie on. Yeah, right I have a hoodie now. on right now. Yeah. And um, the <laughs> idea, and it clicked for me that like, and at that time, it's like me with my two kids. Yeah. You know, I got a degree. I got two degrees. It's just I've never been to jail, never been arrested. 
And if I put a hoodie on, certain people can look at me as a threat and nothing about my life speaks to that narrative other than I'm a black man, you know? That's a pretty unique perspective because you had the naivete of feeling, of not of being aware of that till you were pretty much an adult yeah. coming to college, which is kind of sounds like a white guy. Yeah, I, oh, absolutely. I, I mean, it's that absolutely. like lack of awareness of a problem because a white guy, we say, and I have thought most of my life, What's the big deal? Exactly. Everybody gets treated the same. We have the same opportunities. It's America. I don't understand any of this. You felt that, but then got hit with it like a wave. Yep. How did that feel? How did you? It was it was a hard transition. And I think that's why I could be empathetic to white men and white people because I that was an experience that I've had. Like mm-hmm. I've been on the, I've seen things in a problematic way and I've had to change my opinions. And it basically came through relationships with people. Mm-hmm. You know, a big proponent of my growth was my wife like Mm. me and my wife grew up in two totally different environments and we would have these conversations and I would say things and she would get offended Mm. and I and I would be like why is that offensive to you and then she would explain to me she would give me her perspective and how she grew up and what she experienced my wife has experienced something totally different than me my wife went to school and got called the n-word my wife has Mm. been in elementary schools and people have spat on her and so in my wife she's like you know what when that happens I'm a fight like I'm like I'm not going to accept this type of behavior. Mm. And that makes perfect sense to me. Um but as you get older and grow, you realize that you can't physically fist fight everybody, you know what I mean? And for me it was challenging, but someone was willing to be with me, to deal with my ignorance, to to listen to me, but also at the same time challenge me, and that's how I was able to grow through it. Man, that I can't imagine the wave of realization and the confusion of realizing the, the culture that you're surrounded by has these perceptions, judgments. Was that disheartening? Yeah, it was kind of like, um, you ever see in the movies where it's like um, a person walks in a room and doesn't notice something, and then they notice it, and it's like they, the screen shoots, it's like, it's there, it's there, it's there, yep. and it's all over the room. And so I think that's what it was for me. It's like once I became aware of like, okay, wait a minute. People see me in a certain light because I'm black. Yeah, And there's a whole history behind these negative narratives that have been communicated about black folks. Yeah. And so it's, 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 it's something you, I'm, you saw it everywhere. Yeah. Like even when, when I was in seminary, people would say something to me, they would say things that were offensive. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember one time we were in a, I was at a hotel room and I was with my two cousins and they, they're in college at Morehouse. I've already graduated, graduated from seminary. So all of us are, they're college students. I, I done graduated from college, right? No one's been arrested and we were on the elevator. Yep. And the elevator opens and it's two white women in front of us on the elevator. One gets on, one doesn't. The one that doesn't get on says to us as the door is closing, you be careful with all those basketball players on there. And then the door closes, right? Implying that one, because we're black men, we're, we play basketball, like mm-hmm. we're all athletic. And two, they're like, be careful as if we're dangerous, as right. if we're going to do something to right. her. And it's like nothing about us says anything about that other than the fact that that's other than our skin color. And so it's just one of those things where it's like you walk into situations and you're like, all right, let me, like your antennas are up to it and you want to see how people are going to respond, how people are going to act. And it's like, how am I going to have to handle myself and navigate through these things? So is that's cluing in for you as you're sort of seeing that everywhere and waking up to this idea of, of a reality that's going on around you. What do you do with that? Is is that something you start talking to people about or you're just processing or what does that look like? So I think with with your with my black friends and my black family, the older I got, 
I started entering into conversations about it more, right? Like that, mm. and I was like, I remember one time, like I had never heard any, like when I was when I went to college in Morehouse, I had never heard about the Middle Passage, and basically the Middle Passage was the journey from West Africa over to the Americas where they would drop slaves off at different points. I had never heard of that growing up, and I remember learning about that, and I remember this anger mm. that like got that this anger that I had towards white people, like I couldn't believe that this happened. I couldn't believe how evil this thing was. You're talking about a five-week journey on a ship and these people are chained to themselves under a ship and they're, they don't get to go to use the bathroom. They're using the bathroom on each other and it's like they're treated as cattle and treated as anim- as like they're animals. And I remember I called my mom and I was like, Mom, I don't, I don't know if I like white people. Like, I don't, like, and I've never felt that way. Like, I, and I've had roommates in college who grew up in Jonesboro, Georgia, who would say stuff like, man, I don't like white people. Yeah. And, I'm, and I would be like, why? Like, white people... Are amazing, and then it's like you get these yep. these stories in this history, and it's like, man. And my mom was like, and so there's an anger I think that initially comes because yep. I think the the idea is this is something that happened in the past, but here in 2019 I still see things and experience things that are problematic based on just the color of my skin. But for me, once I get over the anger and once I get over the hurt, it's now the a conversation of okay, how can I help this situation? How can I address this situation that that's an interesting point because as a white person it's like yeah it's in the past yep. that, like that that reference to the past to you is very present yeah and the, if, it's not like it stopped one day yeah and it was like oh it's past now present is clean and like different think, and yeah like think about it like this like look think about how close we are f- to slavery right like my it's pretty crazy like i have a friend who is in his 40s his grandfather was lynched. Yep. His his grandfather was lynched. So he's literally a generation away from his grandfather being lynched and no one being tried. There's no trial. There's yep. no case. Right. Like his great grandfather could have been a slave or his great great grandfather. Like we're not that yep. far removed from right. it. Right. And so I think this idea of like, oh, it's just something in the past. Like, oh, we've had a back. People have said this to me all the time. We've had a black president. Yep. Like what? Like what is y'all? What are y'all upset about? And I think what people don't understand is that there are certain narratives that still influence people's policies and in pe- the way people see black people and the way people just see people of difference. Anyway, that if we don't talk about those narratives and address those narratives within themselves, then it could be problematic. And I think another issue is for a lot of white folks when we think of racist, this image of like a hooded dude with like a tiki torch and like they do something intentional. They have hate in their heart. Aggression. I, I don't use the N word. Right. I, don't, I, I yep. have whatever. It's a direct, they think it's this direct intentional yes. thing and it doesn't leave room for how you could passively be participating in a racist system or how you can passively have or hold ideas that are racist. That's a huge point that I, I don't want us to bypass. Yeah. As a white guy, who has lots of conversations with white guys that I think we're talking about a term with different definitions mm-hmm. because white people would go, Oh, I'm not racist because exactly. racist is that of, I don't do this. I don't do that. And therefore I'm not racist. You're describing racism with a whole different definition. So we're talking about two different things. You're saying racism is um, the subtleties that I'm intentionally or not intentionally aware of this still can be racist. Yes. So the idea of like, and you might, need even, you might not even verbally articulate it, but it may just be a belief that you have in how you treat people, right? Because my granddad and grandpa 
raise me with the subtle internal family systems exactly. and beliefs that I'm aware of or not aware. Exactly. Like, don't go to that part of the town, right? Yeah. Or the part of the town that he's referring to is probably like could potentially be like a poor black town, right? Yeah. Or this idea that like black people are dangerous or threatening, right? Like, yeah. Or the idea that we're right. violent, or the idea that um we're lazy, right? And all those ideas just stem from this racism because it's not true, right? Yeah. These narratives aren't true. And when we begin to build policies or businesses or whatever with those assumptions, even if it's not intentional, it still doesn't mean that you're not participating in something that could be racist. That's so good. And I even think back to my childhood, having somebody in the church in a conversation about dating, somebody said, um, well, use the verse unequally yoked about dating somebody of a different race. Yeah. That was That's in my lifeline and yeah. completely racist and completely jacking a scripture to perpetuate a perspective that is not helpful in any way and yeah. hurtful. If I change my narrative of the definition of racism, then I free myself to go, oh, then of course it just feels so damning and shameful as mm. a white guy to use the racist word because yeah. of how polarizing it feels that I don't even want to right now go, oh, if that's, if your definition of racism, then I'm racist yeah. because I'm not even aware of some of these things. Yeah. And by not being aware, because my dad and granddad and granddad, it, it was never even a point. And so I'm not sure. I feel like if I'm not overt about it, it's so hard to feel racist. But if I have that wall, then I can't work on it. You don't want to take on torn. an unwanted identity. You don't want to identify with the the picture of horrible. A but if I don't head. identify, or I'm, if I'm not open to it by the black and white right. definition, that's right. Then I'm then I don't even want to go into understanding. Exactly. But another way of looking at it is like me me even being a man, right? I had a journey that I had to go on and being in a relationship with my wife, where I was like, man, I'm I have sexist views. Like there's unhealthy views that I have about women. That I didn't even understand. I just thought they were just regular ideas. This yeah. is just yeah. this is just normal. This is just life. And I think for a lot of white people and for a lot of white kids, their whole life they've been told that everyone's been treated fair. Like their history books don't talk about it. Like their parents don't talk about. It. Like their whole life is just hey, everyone's treated fair. You treat everybody fair. And when something like Trayvon Martin happens, or if someone happens with a police officer killing an un unarmed black man, and everyone is upset. White folks are like, I don't get it. Like, clearly the person must have did right. something wrong because the police don't just treat people right. different. Right, and which I is think, a valid perspective from their narrative and exactly. experience. And I think the, re the response to that is, like, my experience isn't everybody else's experience. And I that's think it takes, it takes a mature person, whether that's racially, whether that's with gender, whether that's whatever, anything to say, let me evaluate myself because I have biases that affect how I engage with the world around me. I think that's part of the question is why why do you think people don't talk about yeah. this more often? I, I watched the Trayvon Martin situation through the news. Why am I not bringing this up? Yeah. Well, one thing I think because white people are the majority mm -hmm. in America, it's like it's like a fish in water. Like a fish doesn't that's know right. they're in water. It's just that's it good. just is what it is. Right. And even if you ask the question, of, like if you talk to a black person, you say, tell me something I love about tell me something you love about your culture as a black person. And I can name all these things, right? Yeah. White people don't, for the most part, don't even think in that vein of like- Casseroles. Right, like- Casseroles. casseroles. So casseroles. I like, thought I, everybody ate casseroles. I thought using right. soap was efficient. Casseroles were great. <laughs> right. So there's not even this thinking yeah. of how my culture impacts the large group around me. You know what I mean? And so 
it's harder because it's like, hey, this this has just been life for me. This has yeah. been this is how I've always seen the world. This is what the people that I love most have told and shared with me. You know what I mean? And um, I think black folks, we talk about it a lot amongst ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and how we see certain things and how certain things play out, and this is, and we talk about it a lot. And I would say most most non-white folks talk about race in their house a lot because just because they're the minorities, right? How does that make you feel realizing how little white people do talk about it because it's not a felt thing in their life? I think from um, because y'all talk about it a lot. Yeah, I don't know if it it, it doesn't make me feel upset. It kind of just make it's kind of like. I understand in the sense because it's like y'all in the majority culture. So I understand why you may not talk about mm-hmm. it. But what ends up happening is you end up becoming underdeveloped in dealing with race. Yep. And what yeah. happens is y'all we, we can sit in class and the moment the teacher wants to talk about race, all the white kids are like, why, like, what, like they're freaking out because yeah. no one has ever explained to them about the diversity in the world and how you fit in and how to have a healthy identity in what it means to be white and how you you can be an ally to people who are different than you. And so I think it's uncomfortable for people to talk about it. I think it, it, it could be a heated conversation. So they're scared of like maybe engaging in that conflict um, and that, in that tension. I think for black people, we talk about it so much sometimes that we don't want to be white folks teacher, right? We, yep. if you want to learn something, go read a book, go read a blog, go, you know, go do the work to learn about these things, you know? Yeah. Um, I think also, I mean, sometimes it's hard to talk about that. Like you bring up the idea of kids. I hated talking, talking to my kids about Martin Luther King day. It's a big deal at their school. And they're like, dad, tell me again why we celebrate. And I'm like, shoot. Well, there's a terrible, there's a terrible thing that we got to talk about with regard to why this guy had to fight for the rights of others. And it makes no sense when you're explaining it to a kid. Yeah. And what I've noticed is it's easier it's easier for white people to talk about Nazis in World War II and yeah. seeing that as being bad and evil. Why though? Because we're the, America's the hero. Yep. And it's distant it's far enough away for us to be like, "Oh, they're the bad guys. Look what they did. That's terrible." Right? But it's a little close to home when we start talking about slavery, when we start talking about Jim Crow, when we start talking about, you know, um mass incarceration. But I think the I think what white people need to be able to do is they need to be able to dis, not distance themselves, but understand that, like, yes, this is a part of my history, but but I don't have to perpetuate this. Yep. I can be like there is a narrative and I don't think white people hear this enough, but there is there's not just the narrative of that white people are bad. There is a narrative of white people being allies to help black folks or to help anyone that's different. Like the Underground Railroad doesn't happen without white allies and white abolitionists. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so if that's the narrative when, that we talk to our white kids about, now you're giving them an identity of how to maneuver through their whiteness that doesn't allow them to be that's ignorant. Good. I'm going to jump off that a little further on a personal note because I, I think it's more than a ability to have conversation and understanding of perspective. To your point earlier, I think it's so huge because human nature says my experience dictates how I see the world and how the world is. That does not mean that is right. And my experience does not mean that your experience is invalid. No, the humble thing is to the long walk around to go, I trust your experience. Help me learn about it. And not as much for conversation for me as, but Andy says, you know, the the bottom line of the gospel in John 13, 34 and 35 is love one another. That's how they will know that we are disciples by the way we love one another. And what does the love require of us? It's not a matter of 
being able to not sound stupid in conversation or ask the wrong question. For me, it's I can't love people well if I don't understand it. And I look back to the things I did and said without any intent to hurt, and it was hurtful. Like Mm -hmm. in my own life, I think back to like how I articulated conversations, how I engaged in conversations with my white friends about all this stuff. And it was all valid, and I thought I was doing it out of love. Like I thought I was literally articulating some like Christian white perspective of love and understanding of black people. Of course, it's a bunch of white guys trying to understand and cast understanding for black people, which is kind of ironic in and of itself. But I look back and I did not love well, which is so weird to say I am racist. That Mm -hmm. that back to the point of like, if we change our definition and race racist means we don't have full understanding and therefore we are passively involved in things that can be hurtful for others. I'm going, oh no, because of my lack of understanding, I didn't even know that I was passively involved in things that were not loving Mm-hmm. or advocating or supportive of my brothers who I should do that all day for as an advocate. And that breaks my heart. I'm It, it breaks my I heart. I think I've seen that for me. And I think Tyreek even helped me think about the idea of just acknowledging where we are. If we could ask guys in groups to, to have a starting point, and I think this needs to be a two-part yep. podcast, but this first part is just acknowledge where you are. What is your story where have you come from? Where have you crossed lines with this? And just with, when you were talking a second ago, Robbie, it reminded me of, I used to have this idea, like forgiveness is the answer. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, okay, well, who needs to forgive? Well, the, the people who are upset need to forgive. Like black people need to forgive and then everything will be okay. Like, okay, Lee, what, what do they need to forgive you for? Well, I don't know. I didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great, Lee. You didn't mm-hmm. do anything, but they got to do something to acknowledge what mm-hmm. that yeah. like hold on wait a minute so it's much more confusing than that yeah and it, i think yes racism racism is an idea that you can hold in your head but also racism is about power structures mm, that's and, that, right. and that's a real thing and so when we think about something like mass incarceration or the prison population in america right with even our history of racial segregation and slavery right black folks make up 13% of the population, yep. but to make up 85% of the jails is that, oh, black folks do more crimes than white folks. Or sure. is it a system <laughs> that's set up perfectly to get the product that it wants, right? And, and, and that, you just said the black and the white perspective. The right. white people go, well, they should not be as violent and yeah. they should not do as much crime. And you're going, are you kidding me right now? Right. This is set up to, as a plug, if you guys have not read the new Jim Crow. Yeah, that's great. I, I strongly recommend it. It, yep. it is such an eye opener to how um, embedded in racism is into our ju- judicial system that I had no awareness of. And again, the lack of awareness in itself, I'm not helping. I'm actually hurting the thing that I care so deeply about. And yeah. we got to give each other grace in conversations. But if we're not talking about it, we're not moving towards that. Yep. And feeling. in part two, we'll talk more about questions you should be asking, things we should be Ooh, talking that's about such a good in our groups. Yeah, absolutely. But guys, you're going to have to listen in to the next one in order to get that. And for now, we want you to be asking, as you think about this, as you listen to it, um, what does this mean for me personally? What am I going to do about it? And how can we as a group help each other? And if we're not talking about it as a group, 
we're not moving towards helping or greater understanding. You guys are not going to want to miss part two coming out in two weeks with Tyreek. But until then, we're going to wrap it up. We hope this tees off a conversation that you guys have in your men's group and you start wading into this because we I have spent too much of my life not talking about this and it has affected how I've been able to love. And we are called to love. We get to love. It's what our father has given us the opportunity to be able to do. So we're going to leave you guys with that cliffhanger from Lee. We'll see you next time. And we hope you enjoy a couple minutes of wisdom from our sage friend, John Woodall, in a section we like to call Wisdom from the Woods. It's amazing to me to think about the different messages that we picked up uh, from being young boys or young males that we carry into our adulthood um, as adult males. And one of the messages that I brought into my adulthood was this idea of move on, get over it, turn the page, forget about it. And any time that there was pain or frustration or something went wrong, I had this message that I collected, just move on. And then I got married, and a lot of things started changing. And one of the changes that occurred is we got a, a mentor in our lives to help us as a young married couple. And he had this phrase that you have to always go back to where you fell off the wagon. For example, you know, you're walking as one with your girlfriend, you're walking with one as your wife, you're walking with one with your buddies, and then somebody does something or says something that bothers you, and if you grew up like me, the temptation is, well, move on, get over it. And what I've discovered is that you have to always go back to where you fell off the wagon because you got separated in that relationship over something that was said or something that was done. This idea is driven by the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5. He says, if you're offering your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother or your sister or your wife has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, go and be reconciled to your brother, your sister, your wife, and then come and offer your gift. When you think about your relationships, those that are closest to you, has something happened where one of you fell off the wagon? Uh, if you were to go back to your wife and say, have, have I said something or done something or hurt you in a certain way, I guarantee you they'll be able to say, I'll tell you exactly what it was. That's the place that you always go back and you seek to do the repair. Do the repair with gentleness, do the repair with forgiveness, and do the repair with humility. And when you go back to where you fell off the wagon instead of moving on, you will discover that you will get closer to those that you love the most. Think about that.
We hope you guys enjoyed this conversation. Tyreek, it was amazing having you. Can't wait for part two. Like it, subscribe it, send it to your friends. Thanks for listening.